Hey Rippers, are you learning how to surf? But have you got a clue? Or are you a big old kook? Since there's a million ways to kook it, you should stick around and learn a few things. Because if you don't know, let me tell you right now that surfers love to spot a kook. But don't get all stressed about it, because everyone kooks it once in a while. And that's the reason we started KookCast. Because the more you know, the less you'll kook it. <laughs> so bust out your swimmies and get ready to learn. KookCast is here to lead you on your journey out of kookdom, one episode at a time. And hopefully, offer you some traction on this slippery slope between kookery and killing it. I'm your host, Coach Chris, and I started the surf coaching and education resource, thesurfcontinuum.com. And this week on the show, well, I made a little trip out to the Rockaways to have somebody on that I have been dying to get on the show for a long time now. His name is Dion Madison. He started Kanata's Surf Club, operates out of the Rockaways, and I'll tell you what, this dude is deep. He's a philosopher, and that naturally extends into his thought about surfing and education of surfing, and uh, there's some really great stuff in here. I can't wait for you to hear it. Oh, by the way, we are in the Rockaways, so that means there is airplanes flying over every five minutes. We got to be to the point where we could tune it out, so I'm sure you can too. All right, enjoy. The one important thing for me that I wanted to like start off with is giving credit where it's due, because when I started Surf Continuum, it was right around the time we first met. Oh, yeah, right. Do you remember remember that? Yeah, yeah, you were working for Corey's Wave. Yeah, and Juan introduced us, and we were at uh, Rushmeyer's because they were DJing. Oh, right, yeah. Do you remember this? Oh, I do. And there was one disagreement we had that got me thinking so hard, so much about it, and it was the fact that we were talking about pushing people into waves. Oh, oh. And I was like, I want to start my own thing. I I, I just have much more of a a standard I want to see yeah. happen. I want it to go this way, I want it to be like this. And we were going over and we were agreeing. And I was like, and then only if they do all of it right, then they should get a little guidance into the wave. And you were like, nope, uh-uh, not cool. And I was like, yeah, ah. And I kind of was like, okay with it. Not a push, not a shove, yeah. but like a guide. Uh, now just I like guide their board, you know, just help because one thing that people do is not like have the confidence to keep yeah. pushing over the ledge as they approach that tipping point. Yeah. They stop, they get timid, or they over paddle, whatever yeah. it is. The guidance helps them like begin to set their rail and get into the wave. Yeah. Anyway, you shut it down hard. So yeah. I went home and that I was sense. thinking about it so much and I was like <laughs> I still I still don't do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well neither do I because of this. And ultimately I was like, he's right. He's totally right. You have to be able to do it all by yourself. You can't have this like training wheel come because then what happens is they're perpetually in this state of waiting for that like are you going to do it are you going to nudge me or whatever it trains them to do it it trains them to be dependent on that expectation of the help of the guidance whether it's a full-blown push into the wave or just a little nudge or guide it all is is actually detrimental to their unless you're a small child Unless you're a small child. Well, that's actually what I came to the conclusion. Yeah. But you know what? What's funny is that now I don't even do it for small children either. Yeah. Because they're they're even easier to teach. You yeah. know, they're well, even sponges, they yeah. learn more mm. and faster than the adults do. So yeah. I don't even push kids into waves. Yeah, I guess you don't. Like, like I developed my idea of how I was going to coach from. I I tried to look really hard at how 
well, this thing that we were talking about earlier that was not recorded, but we could get into it now, about how I was initiated in a kinship structure in a local environment. And I really started thinking about, well, I worked in a surf school for a little bit, and I was like, this is not, this is not how people teach surfing. This isn't how I was taught to surf. Um, you know, nobody like pushed me in a wave and yelled stand up. It was like this almost osmotic process because my dad surfs and I had no other choice but to go to the beach. And like when it was too big, I wasn't surfing because like where I grew up, it's like really big. And um, so I'd have to watch. And but he would, though, like I think a lot of surfers do with their very tiny children, like put me on the nose of the board and just surf. Mm -hmm. So like. It wasn't so much pushing me in a waves, but I was just like grabbing, holding onto the rails and my dad was just surfing. So I was seeing what entries to waves looked like mm -hmm. and getting the feeling like I could see the curl in the tube, even like if he was doing it on a one foot wave. So I think I first saw like a tube curl when I was six or something like that. And like, I can still remember it. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it was at Rincon and there was like, and that's not where I'm from, but there was eel grass like coming up the face. And I remember, being able to see the the, the freeway mm -hmm. in the distance. Um, so I don't really train kids that much. So I don't have, like, I'm still like very, I, I tend to not, I don't know, I wouldn't push them. I tend, I would, I treat most small people like small adults. But yeah, I could see the case. The only reason I just see the case where like, if it was your own kid and you did something like my dad, where right, you right, put right. your kid on the board and yeah, and I remember him and actually feeling really good when I was really little and because the waves were, I mean, it's also different per spot. That's the thing with surfing too, mm. is like every place just has its regional norms. Like there's universal surfing norms and then there are norms that are like particular to the place having to do with things like how you access the break. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I've watched surf lessons be given in Waikiki. You can't stand on the ground in Waikiki because there's Vana, like, mm. so they all have to stay on their boards. It's like the number one beginner spot in the world where there's the beach, the original Beach Boys were and everything, but like, you can't stand, even the, the surf instructors, you can't like stand on anything. It's, right. it's coral reef that has the sea urchins in it and those things are gnarly, you know? So each spot is, di each spot is different, but the thing I was gonna say is where I grew up super heavy and I just still also remember my dad's big hand on the small of my back pushing me through white waters, like mm -hmm. teaching me to like really put my head down and go through the white water. Mm -hmm. At a, but I was like really, I was a really little kid and I was really little when he was doing that and the waves were really heavy. So it did. Yeah, totally at makes that sense. age. Right, right, right. Me I, feel I, I, very comfortable. Right. I hadn't even considered that that might be misinterpreted, but yeah that i agree with that like a kid has to feel the feeling that and that's the argument that people make for getting pushed into waves i, I found yeah you know they're like yeah. well they have to get the feeling so they know but the difference is that first of all for an adult i think the the best feeling is accomplishment of like working towards something yeah. and having failure on the way and then doing it that's yeah. the best feeling. Don't tell me about like a f the feeling of the wave they need to feel. No, they don't. Well, you know what I mean? You need to earn that. Yeah, well, the other thing, I mean, I, I think I said this on Tyler Brewer's podcast too, is like these people have degrees, they have children, they pay bills, they like are 
the bosses of other people like they really want to like be met at the level of a person that can do stuff on their own mm. you know they don't want in the they definitely don't want somebody younger than them with questionable experience like treating mm. them like somebody that can't do st- stuff you know so mm. it's like this attitude too of like well, you're capable of do- like you're clearly capable of doing this you've gotten yourself this far in life like you can paddle yourself into a wave and look down the line and right, right. engage your lower body it's really not that hard <laughs> it, it is very hard but it is it's super hard it's, it, it's I, it is it's actually one of the, that's the thing that's like drives me nuts about people being against what we do at all is that you don't teach yourself karate you don't teach yourself ice skating. You don't like just all of a sudden like, oh yeah, I just hit the rink and did whatever those a uh, triple cow, sow cow or whatever, like the triple right. lutz or whatever those <laughs> things that they do. You don't just like hit an incredible top spin in tennis. You don't just come out of the gates like, oh yeah, that kid just like has an amazing backhand slice. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or, you know, there, some people are virtuosos at stuff, but to expect yourself to be autodidactic at anything hard and surfing is extremely hard because of the quantum variability of mm-hmm. every, it really, I mean, life is quantumly variable, but like, you know, it really comes to the extreme in a sport like surfing where you're dealing with like waves, um, which shift and bend and do unexpected things all of the time and then the body the other thing too i mean what i would say phenomenologically is that there's a lot of seeming in surfing so there's a lot of things that appear to be certain ways that when you do what we would philosophers would call a phenomenological analysis or reduction of them like the constituent parts are so many and like what is actually happening may not be the outward appearance the outward appearance necessarily like paddling well this is this is a really good point i i just have to interject because now i'm getting self-conscious about calling surfing easy or not that hard and and uh because it is hard you're absolutely right about that i say that all the time but i think what's hard about it is doing the simple things that i think are easy in the environment of surfing where it's surfing takes place. Yeah. The, as you said, trying to read waves and understand how, okay, there's the peak. Rockaway. Yeah. <laughs> we to, are in Rockaway you Beach. You have to do the pause. <laughs> that's Delta. That's their flight path. That's their flight path. Can you tell what flight it is? Uh, well, no. Sophia's better at that than I am, but she's like, yeah, Delta has a terminal at JFK, and they've always fly over the house in this direction. I didn't look at that plane, but... Oh, my God. That's so she's funny. She's more into the planes than I am. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But you just do have to pause out here, and sorry to interrupt you, but like during COVID, it's been a lot more quiet out here because there have been fewer flights, but right. now that everybody's vaccinated, there are more... <laughs> So so we missed our window for the podcast by just a little bit. <laughs> no, there's still pretty few flights because now what's happening is they're um, not allowing unvaccinated people on the planes. Oh, really? Yeah. Do they start doing that? Yeah. Oh, no way. To certain locations. Oh, oh, certain. Lo- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's location dependent, but. Right, right, right. Located. Anyway, anyway, back to the difficult, hard. I, I don't want you to lose your train of thought. No, that's all right. I already did. <laughs> from the from the flight. No, yeah, but, no, it, it was just it was just my ego wanting to say like, yes, you're right. I know surfing's hard, but 
what you have to do as a person, as a human, isn't as hard as where it has to be, that it has to be done and where it has to be done and taking into account that every single wave is going to be different. You know, it's that classic uh, case somebody, you know, tries to take off on a wave, say, for example, they nosedive. So they paddle back out and you guys have your little back and forth about it. I almost have this feeling in me nowadays to say at the end of that, you know, reflection back on that wave, but don't just do that automatically for the next wave because the next wave you have to read independent of the wave you just had. And it might take a new approach. It might take a new, yeah. you know, like, uh, you know, basically just reiterating how every single situation is different in surfing. And for me, that's the complexity. That's the difficulty. Yeah. That's the, you have to be able to adapt to your environment in a moment, in a, such a short moment. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like, I would say that it's complex on like a different level. So just so your listeners know, I just am at the very final stages of finishing my PhD in philosophy at the New School for Social Research. It's taken me a really long time, an embarrassingly long time. But I did start my business in the middle of all that, and I was writing on a, a completely different topic. But the, pri the prior topic was on fashion, and it was on this concept of being and appearing and the relationships between like essences and appearances, as we say in philosophy. Um, but then I realized, like, I'm not going to go teach fashion. Like, I did teach fashion studies at Parsons. I do enjoy being, I've also taught ancient philosophy and different courses on visual culture and critical theory and stuff. And, and that's super fun. And I enjoy being in a classroom. Um, I, I enjoy teaching in that style for sure. But then the coaching business took off and I'm like, I'm clearly only doing this. Mm -hmm. So I, cha and I, and I clearly need a book and I clearly have all these things I think about surfing and I need to write a book about surfing. So why not just write my dissertation on surfing, change my topic. My advisors were okay with it. And so for the past two years, I've been writing this book on surfing and, uh, I am just now finished with it and my second chapter, so my business is called Canadis Surf Club, and Canadis is a word that comes from the philosophy of the 17th century philosopher Baruch or Bento or Benedict Spinoza. Little funny aside is that all three of his names mean blessed. And he was originally, well, he was born in Amsterdam to Portuguese Jews, and they named him Bento. That was his name at home. But in the Jewish synagogue, he was Baruch. He got kicked out of the synagogue and his pen name was Benedict because it was like more, uh, he wrote in Latin and it was like more into the kind of culture of philosophy that he was in at the time. Anyway, so Canadis is mm -hmm. called after uh, him and I have this whole like it, ontology or metaphysics based upon his idea of the Canadis so that I won't go into right now. That's what the first chapter is about. And then the second chapter uses um, Ludwig Wittgenstein's concept of language games as forms of life to talk about this initiatory kinship structure, how things are learnable and what things are in the context of language games as forms of life that have grammar. And Wittgenstein has this whole thing about rule following and like when rules hold. So like for the most part, grammatically in all sorts of forms of life, not just the languages we speak, but also the languages we speak, like rules hold for the most part across like certain domains for certain amounts of time until they don't hold anymore. Mm -hmm. And even in those domains, there are exceptions to those rules. But you still need those rules to teach the thing. So it's this complete mind 
mess thing where you're like, like there are rules and, and you know, I try to in that last chapter, like articulate some of the main norms or rules that like, you know, one of the huge ones that I'm pressing on super hard with everybody is just how much your lower body has to be engaged in all of your surfing. And that's one of those being appearing things where like, it looks like we're paddling with our arms. That's what it looks like. But we're paddling with our butt. Like, if you're, like, I think I wrote to some students uh, recently, I'm like, surfing is like dancing. If your hips aren't in it, you can't win it. Like, you have got to get your hips involved. And like, in everything. The hips are so, why do, why do when we do yoga, our hips like so sore and mm. like surfers have so many hip problems, so many lower back problems. And just also trying to articulate that part of our, our paddling stroke where right at your pull, your hips drive into the board and there's a breath, an arm pull in the water and a pelvic thrust into the board at the same time. And so like, I have this problem with swimmers. Swimming translates beautifully to surfing, except for they're trying to roll. Mm. And I'm like, no, you have a board there now. Mm -hmm. The roll is no longer appropriate mm -hmm. and you're not reaching out, you're reaching down. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, you know, when you roll your body, because the, we need to make that sandwich with the board mm -hmm. so that like actually you don't want your arms to do all the work you can get freaking gas right 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 and we get all these newer people that are just like i can't move my arms right anymore. right and it's like that's because your butt's not doing it it's big even the smallest <laughs> butt person but also i would say either perversely or not perversely go on any male or female professional surfer instagram no matter how skinny a surfer is there's a butt like every surfer's got right back. I love I love the way you say because actually paddling technique and and good paddling is kind of a little bit of an obsession of mine because we do so much of it. Well, if and you can't paddle, you you can't do it. Yeah, you, can't you can't do the do damn the thing. thing. <laughs> yeah, you can't do the thing. But um, but there's something for me about <clears throat> taking something and trying to make it better, you know. And so then you have to dissect it and, and, and take it apart and put it back together and take it apart again and put it back together another way like an yeah. engine. So one of one of the this whole what is it called? Seeming and, and appearing. I never use that Being phrase. Seeming and appearing or like like how the thing actually is constitutively, like what's really going on. Like versus how, how it, it looks. Versus how it and looks, the way yeah. I always paint the picture for people is if you didn't know any better and you looked at a car, how would what would you say makes it go? Yeah, you wouldn't be the talking wheels. about you wouldn't talk about combustion. Right, no, right. You would say the wheels. The <laughs> wheels are the, turning the crank. so the car is going forward because the wheels are turning. Yeah. No. But no, that's the equivalent of your arms. Yeah. You know, yeah. the engine is making the car go. Yeah. And and there's yeah. there's a part you don't see of that engine's power and combustion being turned into uh, an up and down motion. Uh, translated into reciprocal motion and transferred out to the wheels and okay. then and there's the uh, timing belt. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to the combustion. I actually am a, a mechanic nerd, so like, I would yeah. love to break that. But, but to put it really simply, you look at a car and you don't, if you didn't know better, you wouldn't know that the engine makes it go, you'd think the wheels did. And it's the same, like what you're saying with yeah. paddling. You know, you look at a paddler and you think the arms make you go, but really those are just the wheels. Yeah. For me, I, I never actually thought of it as the butt or the pelvis. It's more for me the core, the, the center of the body, you know? Because the there's one an engagement that, around you. taught here. me more about how much your butt like when Juan, and that was like one of the, and I talk about that too in the, 
the language games chapter, the second chapter is also like how to teach. And sometimes mm. what good teaching looks like is just, and Wittgenstein says this um, in a few different remarks. So he, he writes in remarks um, in all of his philosophy because he felt that the way his mind worked, he could not just write like a treatise. His mind did not work that way. He couldn't even write a freaking geometrical proof, but he probably could, but he didn't write that way. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote in these series of remarks and all of these Wittgenstein scholars are always trying to like see which remarks go together. So he says teaching is like showing a fly the way out of the bottle. <laughs> and so what it con is constituted by is a series of tips. And it's just like, maybe if you go like that, maybe the fly is gonna go all the way back into the bottle. Right, right, You've right. like turned it the wrong way or too much. Mm -hmm. And there's just some little tiny little tweak like the person has to hear the right thing, you know, at, at the right time to, for it to like make sense to them in a certain way. And yeah. you know, and you know when it clicks cause you see the change in their behavior. Right, they fly out of the bottle. They fly out of the bottle. <laughs> yeah, you're like, those are those breakthrough moments. That, right, like, those are the breakthrough moments. That you are like, why a coach person is a coach. And like, that's also just a very, you know, you have a degree in education, like, that's gonna be such a hard thing. We'll see where it goes with both of our businesses in the future and different kinds of certification. Cause like, I know I want to develop a program to train people to coach correctly, not here. <laughs> I would like to travel to like empower people in their own cultures, mm -hmm. uh, in their own local places to be like, you can't just sit there and complain about kooks. Mm -hmm. You have to do something about it. Like, and if you're a surf school and you're a local business, and you're just making money off of tourists and complaining about kooks, it's your own fault. Like, y you could just build a business model like ours and just teach people correctly, but what do you have to have? You also have to be a really good teacher, which is not the same thing as being a good surfer. Right. Ideal scenario, you're a really great surfer and you're a really great teacher. Like, but how do you know either of those things? Well, you get mentorship and guidance from other people who tell you, you know, and then I've had my, you know, I've been mentored by somebody that owns a surf school and like I've not only built my model in exact opposition to his, except for that I think Ed's private lessons look like what I do. And, but Ed still did for me and and Heath and Andrew, like Heath Braddock and Luke Braddock and Andrew Dolan, my like hardcore Grom crew, he still gave us the tips he wasn't giving his paying clients. He still gave us the like, we were the hot Groms and you know, there's something that's why we talked about earlier, the other people doing what we're doing, Brad Gerlach, um, what's his, Chris Gallagher, uh, Mike Parsons, like we're coaches on that level. We're just not like, Coach um, Glenn Hall, right? Like, well, those and those those are pro level coaches. Well, because like it's exciting, right? Like it's really exciting. Like you go sure. tell Tyler Wright to move her right arm in a forty five degree rotation more, and to kick out her back leg, and she's gonna go do that, and there's gonna be spray everywhere, <laughs> and like it's gonna be exciting because she can go do the thing that you say, or like go for the fourth wave of the set instead. Mm -hmm. And then she'll be like, okay, I'm gonna right, go for the right, fourth right, wave. Right. She already has that base level understanding and cultural knowledge that you, they don't have to build in. And like similar, like I'm saying, when I was like a little, like me and my buddies were going surfing anyway. And like we surfed the break that like no lessons are allowed at where 
Ed would never, ever take anybody there. Mm -hmm. So he'd watch us come up and be like, you know, he fixed um, my best friend, Andrew Dolan. He, he got like too tall too quick. You know, like mm -hmm. he went from like five feet tall to like six one in oh, like wow, yeah. a year, and he got a he had a two stage pop up because he had too many legs. <laughs> you know, like Andrew Dolan is always my like model of like when I teach tall people, I'm like, you got a lot of legs, you're gonna have to learn. Like it's you know where me and my friends and even you like you're not that tall like compact surfers like compact beginners. Even when I get somebody like my size like five six five seven like. 135 to 155 i'm like oh it's gonna be easy for you you just so, got you i'm just, just so <laughs> curious now so what was the solution for someone with too much legs uh andrew had to put his hands further back and uh -huh. he had to get his chest up higher deeper like a deeper hand placement yeah mm -hmm. and ed fixed it wow yeah, ed fixed his two-stage pop-up yeah and like a lot of people like to talk shit about ed because he has surf school and you know, on the one, you know, on the one hand, he's like he does have. That's where I did learn the bad, like tours. Those were not fun for me. I mean, like I just wasn't having fun. Like, like I don't even know how anybody anywhere in the world pushing people in waves is having any fun. I know they say like, oh, you see that stoke on their face when they first stand up. And I'm just like, but man, you're just standing there in the water. You're like, even, and like when the waves are good, you're doing, aren't you like dying inside? Isn't like part of your, like, I don't believe in a soul, but like, like, except for metaphorically. So like, like we could speak metaphorically, like, isn't a part of your surfer soul like dying when it's four foot and offshore and pumping and you're standing there pushing somebody in a wave? But even, even if they're not, you know, when I was pushing people into waves, it was from a surfboard. Yeah. And I would launch them. I would have them paddle. So yeah. This I is know where that my, way. Yeah. From behind I'm the sure tail. Sure you do. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and you'd get them going and you'd help them with their timing get them off and on their own, like building their own momentum and then come up with the well, little extra but that's, help. Again, though, like you're doing that, like at ditch, you can't really, it's cobbles. Again, that's the break determining how you're going to do it. You can totally do it. You can stand. We, they do it yeah. with the kids, oh, you know, they they'll yeah. stand and, and it's annoying. You have to put booties on, but they can do it. But point is what I was getting at is that even when I was on a surfboard, I could launch them into a wave and then quickly like book it out in a position one, and get one, one yeah. for myself. Yeah. There was still not a total satisfaction because they had this cheer, but it was like a fake, like you didn't really do it. Yeah. Because I think what really makes a surfer a surfer, so part of the essence of being a surfer for me is understanding the ocean and knowing how to get in time with it, be in good position on your board, and catch a wave. Oh yeah. That's the hard part. I always say to people, the I easy part is standing. I thought it was just an standing. identity that you like tried on and bought. <laughs> <laughs> it can be, I guess. <laughs> but for me, it's it's it was. It's the wave. It's all about the ocean. It's all about understanding waves. Oh, yeah. And like that really is this, like you don't have to be a good surfer on the wave. Like what you do on the wave is not very important to me. If you want to stand in the pocket and go down the line every single time, just straight until you get to the shoulder and kick out, that can be good surfing if, and, and catching waves. And, and uh, I it, think the economy of movement is really important. Well, sure, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Yeah. For me, the focus is more on catching waves and understanding how to do it. So when everybody is so stoked yeah. that they stood up on a board, I'm like, you stand up every day when you get out of bed. Yeah. You know, like that's not the special part. I understand there's a technique and a way to do it correctly, but I really feel, I believe that standing up on a surfboard is not the hardest part. The hardest part is 
understanding the ocean and learning how to put yourself in rhythm with it and yeah. position of it yeah. relative to where the waves are going to be and that dynamic line. It's not yeah. always the same. Yeah. That position you can't just return to every time. You have to be mobile. You have to be agile. You have to be early. You have to be quick and you have to do these things. Yeah, it's funny. So you're going to really like, I, I want to now like really share, I haven't done my defense yet. So like for your listeners or whatever, my book is, I don't have an agent. I don't have a publisher yet. Uh, I haven't even gone to my defense yet. It's at my advisors. But like, you're gonna really like it's. I think all of it. But you will like the second chapter, where when I'm talking about language games, pushing and yelling stand is just. It's a different game. Mm. You're playing a different game. It's the it's the game that we all know from childhood of like, like it's called follow a command. Right, right. It's not surfing. It's called follow a command. It's and it's following a command in a surfing context. But it's not, you're just following a command. The it's illusion not, of surfing. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, you know, for people like us, it is giving them the feeling so that, like, it's not intuitive to everybody because that's been in our culture, um, the, the way that surfing has been. T- There's so much cultural baggage with surfing. And my third chapter is called Surfing as Sport. And I think there's a huge upshot to considering a surfing a sport. It, it can be, and my fourth chapter is about the particular kind of sport that it is and why, it's not so much why it has the lifestyle element, like that's not that interesting to me. It, the aesthetic element is interesting to me, why it's aesthetic, but like in that way, it bears what Wittgenstein calls family resemblances to other aesthetic sports. Um, like anything that's judged on an aesthetic scale is an aesthetic sport of uh, the ice skating is aesthetic diving is aesthetic mm. where where diving even though you dive into a pool it's judged way differently than swimming laps completely different objective standards it's mm-hmm. still a sport you still have to train but there's an element of grace and beauty in it you also need grace in swimming or you're not going to get through the water very quickly but surfing has surfing is its own thing. I'm not saying that it's not, but there are more upshots for considering surfing a sport and for treating it like a sport with proper training and and it, and it has its own things. One of the things that makes surfing unique is not like necessarily our relationship to nature because also there are other sports that have a very profound and sublime Sailing, sure. Sailing, skiing, uh, snowboarding, rock climbing, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of the solo outdoor sports, uh, mm-hmm. whitewater rafting, like sure. uh, like people, humans are insane. I mean, open water swimming? Are you kidding? That frightens the fucking bejesus out of me. Like that's so <laughs> scary. Like I would be so scared of animals eating me without a surfboard. <laughs> like, like props to that woman that swam. Diana Nyad or something like that. Oh my gosh, it's just crazy. They have boats following and stuff, but anyway, the upshot is of, of considering it a sport is that like we start to take these things seriously, these developmental things seriously. And I just read this great article that an old client of mine sent me on the WSL website from a doctor being like, because it's been surfing is like this, there's this, and actually in all of the research I've done, and I just remember this again, like this is another osmotic surf culture thing, the art versus sport debate. And like, what is in it for you for it to not be a sport? Mm-hmm. Like it's an aesthetic sport. 
like is that is done in a natural wild environment that's not all the way natural there are jetties where i there's public planning there's right, like right. all this shit people do to the sand mm-hmm. uh so like i make a i have a very interesting ecological view on what is nature and i actually believe that everything that you see is nature so we don't have to go down that rabbit hole but well, i don't I- think that we also surf waves, unless you're body surfing, but then you're wearing something synthetic, Speedos, unless you're body surfing naked <laughs> at right. a beach that has not been touched by humankind. Right. There is some aspect of human technology involved in your surfing. Totally. And so in surfing culture, there's been this purism, and it really comes, I believe, out of the 70s. Um, and it comes from also, you know, because surfing is is so fun and, like, consuming and, like, a great way to spend your time and people have used it as an organizational life principle they have the need just like other people who are fanatics about their sports use their sport as an organizational and it's the best thing ever and their team is the best ever but surfing has this more than other sports you know it does have this lifestyle element and people want to argue for this stuff but what this article was saying is that the pros even are getting injuries in such ways because they're not like properly recovering like other athletes like even now that they've added more training in they're getting like too strong for what surfing requires Mm -hmm. so like they're not doing the proper like rest and mobility for like the hips and then like not paying attention to things like our asymmetry when we surf so like this doctor was saying that we're finding like all this with good surfers who actually do use their back foot (laughs) there's they're having like way more problems on if they're goofy foot on their left side and if they're regular foot on their right side and so there are like infinitely more upshots to taking surfing as like you and as coaches we call ourselves coaches and like and also the great i mean those are the greatest sports not to like to our own horns so much but like i get like really teary-eyed at like all coach stuff like friday night lights and um you know, <laughs> Phil Jackson's role in the Michael Jackson. The, totally, like, yeah, The yeah, ability yeah. of a coach to bring out the potential of an athlete or a group of athletes and all of these people that we coach, like, they're doing an athletic thing. Like, they're freaking exhausted and their body's got to work in these different ways. And, yeah, you do also have to, like, read waves and also be, like, a, a slight meteorologist and uh, a scientist of oceanography and bathymetry and things like that. But, like infinite for me the upshots of like considering it a sport that has its own qualities are like infinite whereas like a life like the lifestyle thing or the art thing puts it into this realm of mysticism where it can't be like it's like oh it's just you just go and do and that's right been... right and there's no way to improve there's no way it's just who you are and <laughs> and you can't change that go with the flow yeah 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 no i totally get that i think there's there's elements of both obviously but like you said like why wouldn't you want it to be a sport? Why wouldn't you want to treat it like a sport? Because athletes train, they get better, they have mentors and coaches, and they understand how to heal when they get injured. There's so many benefits that come from considering surfing a sport and letting the evolution of the sport, not just changing the, the word, but yeah. the evolution of surfing as we go forward from and here what, on out. what sports don't, aren't also lifestyles? Well, totally. I mean, like, I mean, got, like, yeah, that's just the got, whole weird, like, <laughs> kind of, hippy dippy thing you know well, it comes that's what i'm saying it really comes from the 70s it comes from a reaction to the vietnam war 
comes from a reaction of like increasing technological culture mm -hmm. and like I don't know where I heard this but it was really good but like all the stuff we humans create they're just tools and some are better tools than other tools and like our whole entire evolution is learning which tools to keep and which ones to discard and like which ways make us so like back to and why I finally figured out how to start the book on Canatus is because the Canatus for Spinoza and like cognitive principles now in general because Canatus just means striving endeavoring and that like all organisms once they are in being they strive to endeavor to persevere in their being they strive for flourishing or homeostasis and like there's a gazillion ways that can go wrong <laughs> they can perceive that something is conducive to their flourishing that is not conducive to it um, and there are lots of reasons for that trauma like all kinds of stuff but um, but yet they endeavor you know they and like you talk about potential and like getting better and like I told like I always make this argument too about like people saying the person having the most fun is having is is the best surfer in the water and then right. I'm like yeah that's why Kelly Slater is the best surfer in the water because he's gotten deepest in the tube and yeah. that's infinitely more fun than crashing <laughs> let me tell you like if I could get as tubed as Kelly Slater I like I try I endeavor to get at least like a head dip every session no matter how bad the waves are because <laughs> it, it feels so good and like I agree that when you do something for the first time or unlock your potential for the first time it feels like this crazy amount of joy and you feel like your homeo you feel that your well-being your flourishing goes up like incrementally and like you know I like to tell my students I'm like that's just the start like you just did the thing you just paddled in and had the glide and saw the wave for the first time and stood up on your own for the first time like wait till the wave is bigger or better or you you know i get those ecstatic texts from i think i saw like the lit you know i think I, and they've been adequately trained to say i think i saw yeah you know and like and it's Great. that part instead too, of claiming it <laughs> yeah well like that is about that we always this is the other thing of surfing it's like I am surfing to better myself I'm an individual that's different than you but like we I wouldn't exist in a world if like this table wasn't here and you weren't across the table from me and like there weren't other people and actually that's one of the peculiar phenomenal things about surfing is like you don't go play tennis next to Rafael Nadal mm you might be in a lineup next to Kelly Slater. Right. And so we have this like social, surfing is an extremely, extraordinarily, and like peculiarly social sport. When do you read that in a magazine? It's always like this great quest and man against nature and like, and it's this highly individual, aren't you just trying to do the best for yourself? And like, again, like calling it an art or a lifestyle that's done more bad for surfing then it has good it mm. hasn't because it's not it's not true and usually when we're founding behaviors on it's not a lie it's a misperception yeah and it's, it's too heavily weighted yeah you know that that aspect of it you know um you were touching upon in there just what we do and how we can't um oh, oh like you, you, i really agree with this but uh, by the way, but like you don't want to be a complainer and also someone who does nothing. You know, you have to 
be proactive and changes. And and I know we both just over our years of you know talking and and just sharing what we're doing that we really both feel passionate about being part of that change. You yeah. know, like I know you. I, I'm sure I I can say this confidently and and know you'll agree that we want to be people who other surfers, good surfers, when they're off surfing, see us with a student be like, oh good, they're here. Totally. You know, not, oh God, the surf school's here, you know, yeah. here comes all the soft tops, here comes all the people, they're going to mob the lineup, they don't care about it. Yeah. I want to be like the coach that's like, oh thank God, he's there, he's with the, you know, so this yeah. is going to, I know this is going to go well because he's not going to let them you know, make do any yeah. wrongdoing or sins or at least or, try our best. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, is also our clients, and I think we make clear, uh, sign up not to be hazed, but like they don't, they don't want to be told they're doing a good job when they're not doing a good job. Totally. So like, you know, like if a client burns somebody or, you know, I mean, I will, I'm just straight up stern with people, you know, I'm just like, move move i might use the f word i might be like move what was i supposed to do in that situation get the fuck out of the way yeah get on your right, surfboard right. put your legs together and move like stay out of the way and i will text them later like you know i'm a little stern when the waves are bigger and i can be a little grumpy in texts when beginners are when we everybody's been trained to know that five feet at 10 seconds you are not going surfing and do I wish I had a magic wand to make everybody who should not be surfing when it's five feet of 10 seconds of Rockaway not go? And like people are like, well, that's not me. I'm perfectly capable of surfing that. And it's like, okay. All right. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah, you can paddle out. And so can tons of my clients. They can right, make right, it right. out there. They can totally make it out there. But like when it, and yeah, you still need to push your levels. But like, there's just that thing of like taking the time, like, I write a lot about this. This is uh, well, actually like a red thread through my thinking. So I, I think a lot about time, as most philosophers do since philosophy started, uh, because we're concerned as our physicists about like what time is. Um, and a lot of misperception in surfing has to do, and a lot of like ethical things that go wrong has to do with how much time one does and doesn't have. So as most people who study time know, time is actually kind of malleable um, as a concept. It, in some cases, it's, it doesn't exist in the ways that people think it does. We are born and we do die, and the universe is expanding, and there was a thing called the Big Bang, but there's all this other stuff. that So there's like what uh, physicists call an arrow of time, increasing entropy, but like, in a lot of cases, you have more time than you think that you have. Mm. And like, I actually think it's extremely therapeutic for all surfers to be like, you don't need that next wave. More waves are coming. Like people down here especially uh, are compressed for time when they go surfing. They have to get to their meeting, they're trying to surf before work, they're trying to like fit surfing into their larger mm -hmm. responsibilities. So that puts incredible amount of pressure on them to, um, perform or get the kind of waves that they feel that they need to get or deserve in that one session and it makes them extremely anxious because mm. actually as Heidegger writes 
like our relationship to time is one that is primarily constituted by anxiety for all people whether you have an anxiety disorder or not we all have an anxiety disorder it's called you're alive and you're gonna die <laughs> that's the human anxiety disorder and some people have less anxiety about that anxiety they figure out you know surfing can be a really great way to manage it or it can really exacerbate it mm. and like you know the idea that you that one deserves more waves or one needs all these waves or like that you missed one or even when somebody burns you like sorry it's over like you can if it was really dangerous and they're persistent in doing that or they're doing the paddle around like talk to them but like if it was a one-off the wave's gone mm -hmm. like if it's a if, if it's a habitual behavior and it keeps happening and the person's doing it to other people talk to them mm -hmm. because they might not be aware of what they're doing or right. they might not be aware of the way or they're very well aware and they're a jerk in which that's a sensitive like i want to do this other project of like i've actually started on it already because of the variability there are so many like thorny little ethical issues in surfing that like what about this? What about that? And and you can't really like it's a definitely a, it's case, a case by case case by case <clears throat> totally. situation for sure. But a lot of times when people get really anxious about crowds, about being burned, about all this stuff, it, it has to do with like they're perceiving time as as limited instead of as eternal. And when you switch your idea of time, like we are finite and we will die. But like as Spinoza says, we exist. Our, the conditions of our existence are eternal. The waves are eternal. They're also finite. That one wave is never coming again. But more waves are coming. Mm -hmm. Even if like it's flat for a week, another it will not be flat forever, mm -hmm. unless like the Army Corps of Engineers ruins your surf spot, <laughs> which is a possibility. <laughs> which is a possibility. But that doesn't mean the waves stop. That the waves just means the bathymetry changes and doesn't... Yeah, you and know. you got to find somewhere else to surf or live, unfortunately. That is definitely, you know, but even in these cases with, um, you know, dredging on the East Coast and trying to preserve Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> One giant sandbar, basically. It's, I mean... We'll see. We'll see in 5,000 years. There, <laughs> there might not be a Long Island in 5,000 years. Yeah, right. This is a really interesting, I really am getting fascinated by this concept and this, this discussion on time. Because I think you can take it in so many ways, too. The way you're talking about is more of a grand scale for me, the way I'm perceiving it. But I feel like it can also be a more micro. Oh, the wave scale. Yeah, is, like oh, like yeah. the time uh, yeah. you have to oh, do the to, things you need to do oh, on yeah, a wave. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, and and everyone feels so rushed. Everyone feels like ah, you know. Well, the worst is watching a person learn to turn. I mean, t the takeoff. Oh, too. oh, like a, the initial turn. No, like, the, like when they're an intermediate and they want to turn so bad that they're turning in those places of the wave that like the wave like. Either one or the other extreme. They're on the shoulder or they're too deep in the pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where like there's a, I mean, no, but the takeoff is that part is crazy, you know, because you have the people that like they get this head start and then they're like 50 feet in front of the wave and you're like, <laughs> oh boy. No, and yeah. there's no change in that then. <laughs> then you just sit there and watch. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, I have this new thing that I'm telling people. I'm like, well, I also talk about like 
surfing as a hermit, like I, I'm so philosophically nerdy, but as a hermeneutics of waves, which is interpretation. So what, so surfing, there's a one way to define surfing if you want a definition is that it's an interpret, it's an interpretation of waves through like using this technology of the surfboard. Mm -hmm. And so like when I go to the peak and take off in a certain way and draw certain lines on that wave, I'm interpreting where one should take off, how one, like I'm giving a possibility of an interpretation. I'm not mm. saying this is the only way to interpret this wave. I'm saying here's a possible interpretation. Just like when you read a text, like here's an impossible interpretation of what this text is saying to me mm -hmm. right now. I might feel differently like when I read the text again. I mean, the difference with the text is the text is still always there and the waves change, but and the waves are different, but that they are waves does not change. And certain waves, here's again to the thing with the rules that fall out and hold for the most part, like each wave is different, but enough waves are similar that like you know where to start a roundhouse cutback. Hmm. You know, so like in my own surfing for a long time and just watching pros and I'm just such a student of pro surfing, I'm like, whoa, they go way out on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. Like way further out than I think because you need all that space, right? Time and space are the same and related. Like you need all that space to get the full, like if you want a full figure eight roundhouse, you need to like take all that speed and then figure out your form to carry all right. that speed back to the pocket. And then my uh, Achilles heel is the opening, the right shoulder enough and then pushing through the legs enough to get the vertical rebound i i tend to hit mid white water mm -hmm. that's just instead of up in the hook right where the the little lip is just on the rebound that's been mm -hmm. like you know and i watched i i'd go to start steamer lane when i was a kid and watch like rat boy and josh mulk like those santa cruz guys just are so good at roundhouse cutbacks yeah, like yeah. and i don't know if it's because i grew up in beach breaks i mean i can do one but I still feel like I'm still endeavoring. All the listeners know me, and they know I am obsessed with cutting back. I like, it's gotta be over a decade now that I'm on this journey of trying to do one really well, and consistently too. Cause I don't think doing one one time counts as you can do it. Yeah. You've done it, but it doesn't mean you can do it you know, every because a cutback is such a functional, such a beautiful maneuver in terms of what it achieves when you do it properly. Yeah, it's like two turns in one, and it's two turns in one. But it also, it, yeah, it, it keeps you in the power source with a flare and speed and excitement, and and a lot of times it connects you to a part of the wave. It basically gives the wave time to do what it wants to do yeah. before you get there. And so the spray is so beautiful if it's well executed. Yeah. You know, just the it perfect really is. fan. I remember seeing like those kind of images are like, and I've now seen images of myself or pause video where like I've done a thing that looks like a thing I saw in a magazine when yeah. I was a kid and I'm like, yes, I've worked so hard. I've worked so hard at this. And, you know, and I've really studied of styles, you know, I've studied Machado, I've studied Curran. And I, I see moments in my own surfing where I'm like, sometimes I look like a goofy footed Tom Curran. And like, that makes me, and that is a huge claim to make, but like, I'll stand by it. I've seen a lot of image. I've seen enough images. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah, no, of course. Because I'm consciously, but I'm consciously doing it. I'm like, when I watch him, I'm like, you're never low enough. You cannot be low enough. You thought you were low, mm -hmm. watch, go watch Curran. You're not. That's such a good point to bring up, you know? And I noticed this when I do other things. 
for example, this, this year in California, uh, I was hanging with my cousin and he asked me if I wanted to play tennis. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I don't play tennis. So, and he was a great teacher, by the way. I was really stoked because it wasn't just like, okay, here we go, you're hit making, it, try and hit it back You're making me. me miss the French Open right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, I thought he was going to have me hit it back to him. He was like, no, he had me, like, practicing my stance first. Mm -hmm. And what he kept telling me the entire time, get lower, bend your knees. Like, I still wasn't doing yeah. it. it. It's basically uncomfortable. You yeah. know, like, doing it right doesn't feel right at first until you train yourself to be like, this is correct. Tennis is a lot like surfing. Uh, well, that's what I was saying. I was like, yeah. holy cow, dude. It's asymmetrical because you're only holding the racket in one hand unless you're a weirdo with a two-handed backhand, which is like most people nowadays, but <laughs> I have a one-handed backhand. Um, but the way you line up a shot is so like surfing. You point at the ball, and if you're not looking at the ball, and also, this is the other thing about time I wanted to say, and this dovetails in with everything, the cutbacks and everything. You know a session, before you've paddled out, you want to work on roundhouses. Mm -hmm. Way ahead of time. So, and this is a huge part of coaching in all sports. Um, is, plant, is, is prior plant, like, you know, it's like military, but like, it's like everything with humans, everything that humans do well, there's a little bit of planning. It doesn't mean thing, part of your plan is what do I do when things don't go according to plan? Mm. But like, I think another bad advice that's common in surfing is because philosophers have not figured out, nobody in the world, not physicists, not philosophers, nobody knows what the moment is. <laughs> so... If you think that you know what consciousness and time are, like, wow, good for you, write a book, because like lots of us would like to hear what you think of it. But one thing seems certain, there is this arrow of time thing, and like a lot of what we do is there was a past moment, and there's all this past knowledge that we build upon that we carry into future moments. So just like, so whatever now is, is similar to like whatever truth is, it's a, this constant moving target. And we can project, like when you see a wedge coming at you, you know kind of actually, even before you take off, that like that wave is wedging in a certain way. Um, and it's, but also I'm saying it's ideal to have that kind of futural knowledge that is a beginner is more in the moment and their bodies and minds feel more dualistic than somebody who is it having like what they call like peak experience. Um, who describes things because they aren't philosophers as like, I don't know, I just do it, or like everything just flows, or um, you just know when the thing presents itself to you how to adapt. But like, there are a lot of sports psychologists and physiologists and even philosophers and neuroscientists doing research on this kind of thing that like, and there are different, obviously people are having arguments about this, about what's happening. Mm -hmm. I've been reading a lot of sports philosophy recently to prepare for my defense, uh, none of this is included in my book because I didn't have enough time to read all this, but it's pretty crazy, uh, the different camps, you know, but I am of the camp, I must say, that I do think that there is some intentional planning going on when it's done well. And, you know, my huge thing is now, especially the way of, and, and teaching is always evolving, I'm like, you need to know way before you even turn your board, is it a left, is it a right? Like. Like, are you going to angle your takeoff? Is it going to be a mush? Like, what are you expecting of this wave? Because, like, I have a moderate, like, I do react in the moment when it changes. Like, part of my expectation is that waves can do things that I 
didn't expect them to do. Right, that's like, built into the planning. That's built into the planning, like, like oh yeah. I that thought, I might have to change the plan on the fly. Yeah, or like, I really wanted to like hit the lip there, but like there was a little chop in the wave from this rip current that mm -hmm. like, it closed out faster than I had, you know, and like, I think that's one of the things of advanced surfing is like you're never going into the turn early enough. And I think that's like a lot of those pro coaches are working on that with, with the pros is like starting the maneuver early mm -hmm. because like the waves moving, like it's, it is still, it's even, that's what I love watching pro. I'm like, and I'm, I don't like the wave pool contest that much. I have to say the, I love watching live wave judgment. And it is nice to see, I love watching pros fall because it makes me feel good about myself and always pushing myself and falling. Like I don't believe it, if you, you have to fall. I believe that you have to fall. And like, and like when I watch pro events and I watch pros like dig rail and not pull floaters and things like that, or even like not make drops, like at harder, harder breaks that are just pushing like how deep they can take off. It just makes me feel so like, it's such, such the human side of surfing that's totally. like the other part of like when people don't like competition or they, they say like X ruins surfing. I have this whole explanation for what's motivating that. But like a lot of people like to say it about competition. Um, but like for me, I'm like, don't take that away. Like I'm such a fan and like I can learn so much about day to day surfing. And I do also like the way that priority is idealized in the competitive setting. Like the way that the the turn take now i have one little problem with the priority in the pro setting which is that if you kick out of a wave early you can regain priority well only if you're still ahead of a, a surfer who already is still on the inside you I took know. a wave prior yeah so you're saying that the, the order should still remain you caught the wave second and so you should still I be second it in priority be more of a i think it's a thing that needs to be discussed mm -hmm. like i'm not sure exactly where i stand on it but like it doesn't mimic in a way it doesn't like it depends on the rhythm of the sets and how it, again it's another thing where like you would have to put in some nuance of detail of like how consistent is the surf mm. uh where you went like you know but the thing i do like about the pro priority surfing is if you paddle for a wave and you miss you lost your turn oh totally and that part like i practice <laughs> like I will like I don't like burning people. It's not my favorite thing to do. But if you think you can paddle for every wave and miss and still go when the set comes right, and right, I'm right. actually in position but I'm not as deep as you, I am going to burn you. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> just uh, your turn. It's just that, like I only surf in one particular place. I don't like to burn people, but like I've had people be like, but I was I was like you just went for three waves that you missed. If yeah. you would have sat patiently and let those ones go and st held your position I would not have gone. Right, right, right. I want to go back to the the fall, uh, the whole idea of falling. I really like that because we actually just released an episode called Be Willing to Fall. Yeah. And it's this idea that because I noticed that a lot of people, especially beginners, but it can be it can be anywhere in any skill level, try try not to fall on their journey of improvement. You let me know about timing, by the I'm way. I'm good, uh, but I gotta be done by three. So yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, I'm sure we will. Yeah. Um, this is, I knew this was gonna be a long one and I, want, and I wanted it to be. I, I love the discussion oh, man, I we talk, have. I could talk infinitely. <laughs> I, I also don't like, 
I mean, like, I guess surf philosophy is like what I do and it's like my favorite thing to talk about. So totally. Well, this is just the perfect yeah. platform for you then. But, um, okay. So just, you know, what I notice is that when people try to progress, but at the same time, try not to fall, it holds you back oh, yeah. because your goal now is, is split if not completely eroded and compromised by the fact that part of you is trying not to fall. And that's a totally separate goal than the other thing that you don't know how to do yet. And you probably are gonna fall most times trying to do it. Yeah. And so this, this, this um, mentality of willingness to fall really helps you progress faster because just the acceptance, the, it allows you the error. It allows yeah. you to fall rather, th and so now you can completely commit yourself to your goal yeah. rather than be split at the very least between two goals. One, this new maneuver or thing you're trying to learn and not falling. Yeah. This, I mean, I agree, like, there's like two level or there's multiple levels, but there's one, the personal level for me is like, I don't like, I don't like falling. Um, I think that can be true of anybody. Yeah, I mean, I hate falling. I don't like ruining. Like, I want like to be a complete. I want like every wave to be complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but you know, here's the thing too. Like, this brings up another like cultural, uh, lifestyle aesthetic issue. Is like, I go out without. I don't like. Le I don't like surfing with a leash necessarily. I don't like the way the leash feels. But like, I only do it in small waves where I know for the most part, I'm not gonna fall that much. But if I wanna progress my surfing and I look at the waves like, you could try an air, you could try to hit sections that make you feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. like put the leash on. Right. You right. know, I know Dane Reynolds is a big um, proponent of this, like wear a leash. Like you're like, if you're not like, if you wanna push your surfing, you're gonna fall in such a way that you need to be wearing a leash. Mm -hmm. I also think though that in very small conditions, good and bad surfers when it's not crowded should not wear leashes so that you learn where your board is and you're not care totally. you're not you're not relying on the leash and not being careless about it but um i have to have self-talks about like you're gonna go out there and you're gonna do like i have to do a lot of self-talking you know because like i really don't i don't know where to stand necessarily with myself I go like back and forth all of the time. Like I, I, on the one hand, have been naturally talented, at least on a base level at surfing since I was a little kid, but never that one next level. And so I've had to work so intentionally just to do what I can do to the best of my ability. And I'm still figuring out things like really, again, this is the intentionality and like having that game plan. Like I'm going, I'm a right-handed goofy foot. And I remember watching the Hobgoods and seeing how much they both use their left hands and their right-handed goofy foots to my knowledge. I don't know if they're left-handed. That would make a difference to my theory, but I'm not left-handed. And so I was like, just reach for your rail, engage your left hand, like look at your left hand. And like, cause I'd see pictures of myself, my hands like over here. And then I'd see other people just like that hand, it's the backhand driving over the back foot. Mm -hmm on a backside bottom turn, frontside cutback, frontside fin waft, anything like that. And the minute I started being aware of my left hand, I started pulling 75% more of my maneuvers. They got more arc in them just by going out and just being like, you have, and even, I still have to remind myself. I still look at footage myself. I'm like, and then I'll see a turn I really like. I'm like, your left hand is engaged. 
and um, just different things. So like, and then the falling is another major thing. Like you have to fall with tube riding. Like I, I'm pretty good at tubes, but like sometimes I'm just not deep enough be or like I let a closeout go. Those are the best tubes. And the I have to just, don't think you're going to make. And I just have to tell myself, like, you've got just take off. Mm -hmm. Just eat shit. Like, it doesn't matter. There's, like, no, like, just take off. And if it, it will let you out or it won't let you out. I've actually learned a lot. Um, actually read this thing that Balaram wrote on Instagram about pumping through the tube. And I saw footage of myself where, like, he was like, you can't just stand there. Right, right. Because you'll get sucked back into it and mm -hmm. you're being repositioned in the tube whether you like it or not and then i have this gopro mouth footage where like i'm like almost coming out of the hole and then i'm like getting eaten up and i started actually being shallower like not worrying about being too deep and pumping more and i was getting like deeper better longer tubes and making it because mm -hmm. i was being more active right inside of there i think it also helps when you pump in the tube because like you said, you, you're getting automatically repositioned anyway. So it helps you just be already one step ahead, like moving to, you know, yeah. rather than respond yeah. to something, you know. Um, but yeah, that was a big breakthrough for me as well, is, is learning how to actually be active in the tube and pump and drive through the tube. Because you, you still can always use your hand too to, to stall, you know. I kind of started developing this style of a combo. Yeah. Of pumping and having my hand just touching the wall and being able to increase the yeah. drag or not, but yeah. always keeping board movement, yeah. keeping this like, yeah. this it's like a heartbeat the, the wave has. It doesn't just go. Well, then there's like little tiny shoulder adjustments and like butt, I mean, the butt is like just such. Right. Well, uh, it's the butts, the hips, the core. It's, yeah. Your butt has to be like your butt is like this uh i don't know like an anchor Anch i was gonna say yeah anchor, it's yeah. gotta come down in like like this um but anyway but back to your falling thing like it's it's just like another set of intentions and the thing that i was gonna say though is that it's not on the podcast yet but we were talking before we recorded about that essay that i had read throwing like a girl by iris marion young yes I which i recommend everybody to read because uh, like men and women it benefit from feminist philosophy I think that's an important thing for whoever listens to, to hear um, but yeah this she's she actually died of pancreatic cancer at like 52 this philosopher woman um, but there are very good reasons why somebody might be scared to fall and like a lot of women not all but some women have ingrained social attitude like socially ingrained attitudes towards their body that makes them unconsciously protect their body because in her uh theory she talks about how because women's bodies are objectified they're taught to treat their bodies as objects that need to be protected hmm. so they will unconsciously again not all women but like in many sporting contexts we can expect that at least some women will be more scared to fall or get hurt or how many times have you hurt? I don't want to hurt anybody else. I just don't want to hurt anybody else. Right. And it holds them back and they know, like, they're not stupid. Like, they know it's holding them back and they're just like, they say, they'll say I, they'll say things like, mind over matter, I just got to get through it, I know we can get through it. And it's like, 
you know what? Maybe you don't like right now because we're talking about millennia of social conditioning hmm. and stuff like we're still working through as a culture. And like, yeah, like women are being taken more seriously as athletes now more than ever before. Sports are evolving so quickly. And it's really great to see, especially in surfing, the levels just go up and up and up. But it doesn't mean that it's going to happen overnight. And there's still so much, like I was saying to you earlier, there's still so much privileging the moron dude who's just chucking himself around the lineup, you know? And he's not scared to fall. He's sending it, you know? And you're like, please don't send it. Just stop. Can you press pause on the send it button? Because, like, you just almost killed 20 people, and now that wave went through. Like, sometimes in Rockaway, you'll have, like, I mean, seriously, it only takes like five of those guys to almost ruin a session. Right, right. And honestly, they might be the sweetest guys. Also, to be fair, this is the thing that I have really gotten good at. The philosophy has worked for me ethically. Like, I used to be just more of a critical, judgmental dickhead. But now I can see things like these guys don't even perceive themselves as doing that. And they might be like super nice guys and like be nice to their partner wife girlfriend or boyfriend like on the beach they might have kids who they love and are generous to Mm -hmm. but they go into this environment where they've been socialized to send it Mm -hmm. and that's what men do and you go out and like make a living and you know provide for your family and like show people what it's like to like be brave and like it hurts people Mm-hmm. And it hurts you because it stops you from seeing like that you are actually not doing those things that you're intending to do. You're not being exemplary, actually. You're being hmm. hazard. <laughs> now, how do you? Well, you you may you you basically might have already answered this for me, but I'm gonna try you anyway. But do you have any strategies or ways of help? Like going back to women that you feel are are suffering from this mindset. Do you try to help them with any kind of, whether it be a pep talk or, or just even giving them the awareness of that, what might be happening to them? And, or is it like you said, because I said you yeah. might have already answered it by, you know, maybe you don't get over this because this is like something that's like ingrained in you for thousands of years, you know, as a species, as, a, as the female, in, you know, in, a, in humanity or not. Do you have any strategy? Do you have any? Because this is something I run into plenty. You know? Yeah, I mean, no, you know what I do is just like, I really do just try to treat everybody as like being able to, I think everybody can uh, actualize more potential in themselves and that different people have different. So like I treat it as like, maybe I treat it more like I was an analyst or something. And so like the advice, the way I give the advice might be different. Um, I actually try to avoid putting them in situations that recreate the trauma mm. um so building confidence and small like small like small ways get, get the confidence get yeah get the confidence going or like l- let people know that like you don't have to throw yourself around like a, you we're gonna get to a place where falling is gonna be like okay but like if the board does hit them that could re-traumatize like really quickly mm. and again it's not uh it's not just I said this earlier, not on the podcast. It's not just women that behave this way too. There are people who are biological men who identify with their biology, who were socialized to have this similar, what then they get coded. Like uh, the philosopher Young says, she says that 
we not only use these socializations to differentiate women from men, but from men from other men and women from other women. Hmm. So like this, she calls it uh, gendered hierarchies of power and some other ways of like being bodily subject subjectively. And so like, I really try to take every, like this is hin this, this starts to like get into all of this kind of recent stuff with identity politics. And this might be a little bit, uh, I don't know what it is, but like the ideal of surfing is good surfing. And I do realize why there are these social things uh, and historical phenomena that have happened that have given certain kinds of people that could be said to have certain kinds of identities less access to the knowledge that it takes to surf well. Totally see that. And that's why like a majority of the surfers around the world are white guys. It, it's a his, there's a whole historical story to tell by, about why that's the case now, mm -hmm. and Hawaiians. Uh, but the Hawaiians are still underfunded when it comes to pros, but they have maintained dominance in their surf zone. And there are stories to be told about the access, but I do believe, I am a little bit idealist that like if we figure out how to get more people more access to the kind of knowledge it takes to surf well, that we can be color and gender blind uh, in the, in the, the only thing we can't be, unfortunately, is like certain physical disabilities, like, you know, like there's those camps for uh, teaching kids with autism, like mm -hmm. they're not gonna have self-sustaining surf practices, like some type of, like a person who's blind, like a person, like a deaf person can probably surf, probably don't need that sense, but like, you can even get over some stuff. I mean, Bethany Hamilton surfs with one arm. Mm -hmm. Like there are surfers with prosthetics. Like you can get over a lot of this stuff, but like you don't need to like go hard on like the part of their identity that causes them trauma that makes them feel like othered in surfing. Instead, you just need to find the circumstances that help them feel empowered and keep finding the tips and the circumstances and the and the techniques that they can build upon to build that confidence you know so that like you know yeah so that like we can be this surfing likes to view itself as enlightened but there are just way too many like pro like we are not an enlightened like surfers are not more enlightened than other species no like, you can other kinds of humans you can you know? especially see it in the way we educate each other with surfing <laughs> we don't that's even the do per it. <laughs> exactly that's my point like there isn't even in every sport i any sport I've ever played, and I know this is true of other sports, there is a methodology. There is a path you take to proficiency. And coaches who argue about what that is. Right, sure. Yeah. But there is they're a like, very, yeah. but it's, but it's small yeah. nuance, but yeah. they're not going to argue over the fact that they need to learn A before B. You know, yeah. they might say like, oh, you should do lowercase A before, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, no, no, I know. But, I, but I, A, I was, B, C. Yeah, yeah. I was and I was except in surfing. Surfing, we still, all these years we're doing it, and we still are just like, yeah, get on out there. Here you go. We actually, for people who surf and know, this, what is that again? The seeing, the seeming and... What the, the, the being and the appearing, yeah. yeah. Surfers themselves who know that it's not what it appears still encourage that and perpetuate that discrepancy. Yeah. I you do know? think, again, like if we were to do, I would love to like do more research into this and like write something more about it because I didn't go into like... This attitude towards education and surfing is like fascinating to, uh, I mean, where the good education does happen is in the kinship structures, right? Like, although 
and I realized I was motivated by, I just applied for a TED fellowship and the application process is pretty short. And like, I didn't write this in my book and I might have to put it in like another draft, but like, I'm so motivated by uh, the localism environment I grew up in, like my teaching style and the, my reason for coaching is motivated by both the good and the bad hmm. because I got such a good education on how to read waves like on how to under, like on how to be a community of surfers holding one another responsible and accountable for like you know you got tubed because everybody saw you and says grom that was a really good tube and if they didn't say that and didn't see you you like maybe didn't get it you know or you have to keep it in yourself until the community has conferred the truth upon you mm. you don't go tell the community what the truth is the community establishes truth together i love that yeah. which is what how truth gets established for human beings there's no like like even scientific truth like objective truth is stuff that a community of scientists agrees upon for now you know or we both can sit here we could talk about the wall being white and if you agree and i agree then that's enough because we have a cultural convention that calls the color of that wall white and we agree mm -hmm. that it's white what i didn't like was um, the racism that I saw active, vi the violence. I didn't like the violence. And I was violent, like not radical, like, but I still think that like waxing people's cars is violent. Mm -hmm. I think writing locals only go home on a sign is violent. I certainly think throwing sticks at families having picnics because you don't like the color of their skin on the beach is violent. I think kicking your surfboard out at a boogie boarder or a knee boarder because you think everybody should stand up surf is violent. Like, I think calling women lots of names that I learned at way too young of an age is violent. And like that kind of stuff, I didn't like it since like I participated in it. I had a bad faith about participating in it. But I, I, I really like the good, like I like had a paper that never really went anywhere called The Good and Bad Ethics of Localism. And in a way that's like what my project is, is like this, and on the other hand, these people that don't like locals, that want to just be like F locals, it's like, no, people, they freaking live there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you may not like their politics, and I don't like their politics either, but once you go away, guess what? They're still there. Right, right. And like, there are norms that the Hawaiians established, which is like, you, I don't, I really actually don't care if you don't like the locals' politics. They live there. Mm -hmm. And like, there is a way that you can endear yourself to them. Mm -hmm. Just respect them. Mm -hmm. Just like paddle to the shoulder, catch mm -hmm. the inside waves. Like, you know, and here in Rockaway, we don't have any localism and it's like a free for all, but you, you can tell, like if you watch surfing that like one surfer, clearly a couple of surfers are friends and they're sharing waves and they're competent. And, you know, there you've done a podcast on the self-deceived surfer and there are people and, and a lot of self-deception has entitlement involved with it. And there is the bad kind of entitlement of the localism surfer that thinks that he or she gets all the waves just because they're a local and they don't have to share except for with whoever they deem the ones they share with. And then there's the other entitlement, which is the person that's put in no time, no reps paying no respect to the people that surfed there before them. And they, it, the ocean is free. The ocean is not free. Like the ocean owns herself and she will own everybody in due time. But like it, there are people like 
that I always think this with like native populations that have been expropriated off of their lands. I'm like, they lived there. Like the people live there. Like you have to, you do have to pay a reparation. Like mm -hmm. there were already people there. Mm -hmm. Like you don't just get to like, what kind of value system are you saying? Well, I'm more deserving of that right. land than you are that wave or like that spot in the lineup. And like, I do think that like, a, like we're never going to get this in surfing it is a, a, an ideal kind of like meritocratic anarchy where we can like agree to like recognize one another and be like or even that beginner that's like hi I'm like I always I write this in my book too like it may be a scary proposition to be like hi I'm a beginner like is there anywhere in this like I see that you've been surfing I've come here a few times and if the person is like you can't surf here or go down and you would like instead of getting mad at them the appropriate thing to do is like where can i surf mm. like i'm pretty set on doing this like i want to be good at it you never even know that person might like turn into your mentor like you know in that old kinship yeah, yeah. kind of structure you know or even they might have that tip you know that you just needed like you know, they're like paddle over there and stay over there. Right, but you know what's funny is like, cause even if they don't deliver it with the most heartwarming tone of voice, they actually might have valuable advice from where you should surf. Yeah. You know, like, cause you've heard it, any, anybody that's yeah. surfed for a little while has heard another surfer tell a lesser surfer to do something. Like whether it's yeah. go over there or do this or get your, but usually that advice is true. Like yeah, it's, should, yeah. you know, a lot of times it's like, yeah, you should go over yeah. there and, or that's where the yeah. wave is smaller or less critical yeah. or not sur like mobbed by good surfers. Yeah. And, and it's just what you're saying. Basically I'm interpreting as like humble yourself. Don't let their tone of voice like stir up anger in you, yeah. you know, and, and like remove that, the, the tone, remove the, the sentiment they have and just take the information. Yeah. And you actually might, and then when you do that, they might be won over a little bit and be like, oh, look, the guy actually listened to me and I was kind of a dick about how I said it. Yeah, I mean, and then like hopefully people who are good at surfing, like, you know, it is, you don't have to all become coaches like, you know, you and I are, and, um, but like there is a way, and I think you'd be surprised, like instead of just telling people what to do, you people respond to questions a lot better. Mm. Like, be like, hey, you know, can I give you a tip? If they say no, be like, okay, it's fine. Mm. You know, most times I ask somebody, like, sometimes I don't want to give tips because people pay me <laughs> to mm -hmm. give them tips. Mm -hmm. But, like, sometimes somebody's doing something that, like, you know, paddling with your legs open. Right, 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 right. And, like... A little pet peeve. Yeah. I'm just like, can I give you a tip? Yeah. You know, you just see they're, like, purling while they're paddling. You're just like, it just... Put your legs together. It's going to work. Like, I know it feels like that's more stable to you, but it's not more stable. And, you know, um, the other thing that I have found is asking somebody their name. If somebody's, like, doing bad behavior or they're non, like, say you're a local somewhere and you're listening to this and you see somebody you don't like and you just have that immediate xenophobic response to them, paddle up and be like, hey, what's your name? Oh, Brian, I've been surfing here for this long, never seen you here before. You know, like, I notice you're behaving in this way, just so you know, that person, like, we all surf here all the time, and, like, there are some rules of comportment at our beach. Like, it's nice to meet you. My name is Dion or Chris or 
Edward or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and like it's crazy how when you know a person's name, this is a thing I found in my, the way that I do coaching is like a more community model, like part of my idea of self-sustaining surf practice is having buddies because you can't pay me or you every time to go mm -hmm. surfing. Mm -hmm. And so I link people up through, through surfing with me and they all, then when they're free surfing outside a session, they know each other's name. So like if I run you over, like we have a relationship and I'm like, oh, Chris, the, sorry, dude. Like, or like I burn you because we know one another's name and have a relationship. It's just the burn doesn't hurt as bad. Mm. I can't alienate you. It's mm. this concept of alienation. And like that was a thing I was meaning to talk about when people say this ruins surfing. Usually what a person means when they say this ruins anything is I feel alienated. Mm. So they project their own feeling of alienation onto other people, certain practices, certain ways of doing things. And like, hmm. that makes me feel like I, I don't, like, like the free for all attitude, honestly, that like it's everybody's ocean makes me, Dion, feel alienated from surfing. Because like, I believe there are rules, I obey them and uh, I, I try, I endeavor to behave them. I know when I'm not obeying them, but like I know when I'm like overstepping my, I know when I'm being a greedy little wave piglet. <laughs> uh, and and now finally I'm mature enough that like somebody calls me out and I'll be like, okay, yeah. I know. <laughs> all yeah, right, all it's right. Okay. You know. <laughs> I know I could paddle all day long, uh, but yeah, so like that that is a crazy one just knowing like, knowing people's names and that's also again the good aspect of localism people frequent a break they see one another's faces and then when they get in little things you have a beef with somebody you're gonna have to work it out right it's like or not or it's like this really bad tension thing that's toxic for yeah. everybody in the family let's just call it you yeah, know? yeah like yeah in the broader social web it's like though that's why it's called toxic that's mm -hmm. why cancer is cancer that's why stuff that like we try that's what therapy all therapeutic practices are for is to stop people or is to help people feel connection to themselves and flourishing again like back to the flourishing but like with without this is the beauty beauty of spinoza is like spinoza is like okay so Every human being, what the whole reason you're here is to seek your own advantage. It just turns out your own advantage is to rely on other people. So it's this selfish, and a lot of like uh, um, genetic theorists, uh, this guy like Nicholas Nicholas Christakis, I think, is working on this work that like we are actually evolving into this more actual. Uh, it's a very hopeful view that the selfish altruism, that like altruism on its own is not like it's usually bad faith motivated like you mm -hmm. want to be seen as like pure in this way mm -hmm, but if you're mm -hmm. like like for me like honestly like like teaching people to surf in this way again like from this localism model i'm like i wanted people to be able to move out of my way <laughs> right and like like fast and <laughs> like i don't like seeing people flail like when I see somebody like break through or like, you know, I call this area where I surf in the Rockaways sometimes my social experiment because I'll be out with like one person on a private and like 10 people in the water are, I've trained. Like now I surf, there's more often that I've coached somebody 
than not. Mm -hmm. Also surfing in a free surf, and it works. We share. People look at each other. They watch each other's waves. They get better at surfing. They don't make false claims. Like, it's great. And, like, I personally haven't had an alienating, very alienating experiences when I surf with, like, some people say other things about pro tour level surfers, but I've usually gotten along with like the best surfer at a break whenever I surf there because like it does seem to be a thing like I feel like good surfers only take advantage when people are being like clueless, but like once somebody like once somebody holds their own in the lineup, they're like, okay, you're in position. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I heard like maybe Gabriel Medina could be bad sometimes or whatever, but like. I mean, honestly, like, I might just be fascinated to, like, watch him launch it. You know, like, he does have a little bit of a point yeah. that, like, I may prefer to watch him surfing. Right. <laughs> yeah, you don't get that opportunity very much. No. I mean, I think he's a – and I love Gabriel. Honestly, I've always been a big fan of him because I'm a fan of surfing as a sport, and I don't think I, – I don't believe in humility as a virtue in the sense of, like, an – of – degrading your level no yeah 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 knowing where totally. if, if humility means this is where i'm at sure if humility means like oh that was nothing it's like or like i'm just heat by heat it's like i love the athletes that are like i'm here to win yeah 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 i didn't show up for anything else right, right. my purpose is to no, win i understand that <laughs> so before we wrap up i just have one thing to ask you on a light note in the spirit of the Coop cast, <laughs> what in growing up and in your your time being a a growing surfer, what's the kookiest thing you've ever done, or there's something that sticks to you that still can make you cringe, whether it be last I mean, week every, or I mean, back? It's like so easy. It's really just like everybody I yelled at when I was 12 years old and had a squeaky voice and told them <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> to go back to Santa Cruz or beat it kook or like right when you're a little squeaky grom trying to act I was tough tiny. guy I was tiny I was like I mean people like laughed at me and my best friend too's like we both like my brother makes a joke about me and Dolan that like he's like I don't know it's just something how they look everybody just wants to beat them up <laughs> but like yeah, I guess we were like Napoleons, and but we were in our environment, and we knew. But we also got beat up by like the guys that were mentoring us, you know, in certain ways. But um, I mean, that was the kookiest. That, so that's just, such like, a great answer, though. I love that. You know, just to to you, you nailed it. It's true. That is. A I mean, I wasn't even a good surfer. Then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was twelve. Like, I thought like my like. I mean, I did. I got chastened pretty fast, though, because you know my dad takes photos, and we had people who were allowed to take photos at our beach. And then, like, I would see the picture of the cutback, or my friend's mom would take a Super Eight video of us, not the, but the little tapes. You know, yeah, like yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hi eight. Hi eight. Yeah, hi eight. Yeah, not film. Yeah. Uh, and then like, that wow video chastens you fast. And then seeing seeing uh, Andrew Dolan get bitch slapped on Christmas Day when we were fourteen <laughs> for like he it was the same thing we'd always we didn't even know if people were from Santa Cruz we would just tell them to go back to Santa Cruz <laughs> kids just don't kids don't know 
I had some pretty reprehensible beliefs at that age, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I admit. Well, that was a great way to wrap it up. Dude, thanks so much for, for taking the time. Yeah, I know no, you're busy, sick. dude. You, you got a lot going on. And, and I'm just like, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Because like I said in the beginning, you were a major influence on oh, me. Oh, thanks, man. That's and I awesome. went, I, I will never forget going home that night and really thinking hard about it and being like, he's right, you know, and, and turning, turning my, my mind around on that issue and, and being like, I have to be a better coach. I have to figure out how I'm going to coach. I have to use instructions. Yeah. Well, congratulations know? too. I mean, on your branding and business and, um, and you, Montauk is not an easy social world. You know, uh, there's like, people are very sensitive. I get, you know, like in general, business is hard, you know, there's scarcity mindset and there's the alienation thing. And mm. there's just that sense that people have of like, if he does this, I'm not going to survive. And like, the truth is, is that like, there can't be like a gazillion Chris's right in your local break or like a gazillion Dion's like I don't want somebody to pop up like at my local break and do what I'm doing but like every local break should have one of us mm. you know and the world there aren't enough you know maybe like that's like a collaboration thing there, there aren't enough there, right, there right. aren't enough adult beginners being trained properly there just aren't enough and like it would be great for this flowing thing the lineups you know then you just but it's as you know it's a lot of work yeah. well may as well start chipping away at yeah, it yeah chip away <laughs> chip away all right, right cool on. dude